Hello and welcome to the AV Forms podcast for the 13th of November 2013. Joining me for this edition are games editor Mark Botwright. It hurts when I urinate. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. So long earth. Catch you on the flip side. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. I don't care what it was designed to do, I care about what it can do. Just so I'm not left out of this, I'm reading a quadruple failure. That can't happen. Actually, a quadruple failure can happen. It did last week, which is why you didn't get a podcast, for which we apologise. Um, but we're back again this week, and in case you're wondering where Phil is, he's taking a much-needed break. So unfortunately, you've got me presenting it for the next couple of weeks. Don't be too harsh to me in the feedback thread, please. Lots happened in the last two weeks, kicking off with hardware news. Panasonic, finally, there's been a lot of rumours, they finally announced officially that they are indeed pulling out of the plasma market. They're going to cease all plasma production by the end of next month and stop selling them entirely, both commercially and professionally, at the end of March next year, which I guess is the end of their tax year. Uh, Mark, not a big surprise, I suppose, but still really sad news. Yeah, I think we've been sitting on this for two weeks now, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. still still digesting it. Um as you say, the rumours were flying around uh, for well months and months and months. Well, a year um, actually, a year. yeah, but a year. Uh, and and the final one we got approved to be bang on, uh, and so we're now left with the thought that, well, effectively plasma could be over for everyone by uh, by April. It'd be interesting to see what happens at CES. We've uh, we did speak to LG and they gave us confirmation that well a vague confirmation that. L, that uh, LG was still committed to plasma in, in a small way. Um, nothing from yeah, Samsung. LG have been kind of limited for the last couple of years. I mean, they've been sort of furrowing a brow of um, just putting out uh, what 720p low-budget plasmas. Yeah, um, and their top-end one's not really getting anywhere close to the performance of uh, the Panasonic's no, in particular. The black levels are particularly poor, aren't they, on LG? Yeah, you get, you get better backs on uh, on quite a lot of LED LCDs, really. But um, they, they, they did have strengths, but they're not really a player in the plasma market. Or Well, they are, of course. I mean, there's only two. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, By default, it's, so they're now a player. <laughs> I'm just wait. We just wait to see what Samsung do now. Yeah, they've been suspiciously quiet. Now, you, you, this can go, I guess it can go two ways. One, they can just ditch plasma as a dead technology, or they can take advantage of Panasonic's absence to dominate for perhaps one more year. Well, yeah, well, that's what the hope would be because the video file choice still really isn't LED LCD. There are good ones, of course. We've seen good ones, excellent ones even, but the video file choice is plasma waiting for OLED in the wings, but of course that's nowhere near affordable for most. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to leave a lot of people uh, up the swanny next year if um, if they were thinking of replacing the TV and they're after quality with value, then there might not much be, not a lot out there. No, I mean, I guess the, the question is whether Samsung and LG to a certain extent can make money. Um, I mean, the problem is, and the reason that Panasonic are pulled out is they're, not, they're losing money on plasma. It's as simple as that. And why do something if it's costing you money? And I think this year it represented 6% of the TV market plasma. I think it was less, wasn't it? Was it two less and half, Two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. Right, well, so... We, and predicted to fall, so, yeah. Well, I, I, I read now somewhere... We'll fall now that <laughs> yeah, Panasonic can't make them. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Uh, I did read somewhere a while back, I can't, I can't locate it now, but um, Samsung said they can really knock these plasmas out very, very cheaply. So it might... And there's a company that's doing a I, lot I better than Panasonic. To do, I think they'll do it just to rub salt into Panasonic's wounds, to be perfectly honest. Well, they, they could do that. And I mean, they may have more r and They may have pumped a little bit more R&D money into it and they've got a little bit more technology to show in, in fairness the f8500 was a really good uh, plasma tv not quite yeah superb good. yeah really 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 good i mean it was my wife's favorite tv of the year picture quality it was, a, it was a genuine look it was also quite a look, a look uh, yeah and also a real look it might my favorite style wise but uh, yeah. i would take any of the panasonic plasmas over it to be quite yeah, honest, oh, yeah. any of uh, st st upwards what are you going to uh, do next year you have one have a one have a vt to review you're going to have don't I don't know. That's that's another on a personal level. It's uh, yeah. That, <laughs> always get quite excited around April time uh, when the new plasmas are due. But so yeah, we've, we've got. I to. think with both the manufacturers left being ones that are also fairly active. Uh, well, I mean, LG has been been pushing OLED for years without actually selling any, and Samsung has, has sort of actually managed to cross that bridge. I think we're looking at probably the two wrong candidates to do any really significant effort. With, yeah, well, at least they've got some money. <laughs> a lot of them well, don't this is, any money. This is true. Um, 
but I, I have to say, I mean, whilst you know, I'm a huge fan of plasma. I've I've always used it as my as my main display. I I, I you know, I'm, I'm sad that it's gone, but I don't honestly feel that this is going to be uh, a, a big issue. Yeah, well, I mean, as Mark mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, um, obviously OLED is waiting in the wings. I'm lucky enough to have recently reviewed an OLED TV. Uh, yes, they're pricey. It was six nine 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 at the moment. But what, what I can say is picture quality-wise, and especially in terms of black levels and contrast ratio and dynamic range, absolutely stunning. So um, at least uh, at some point in the near future, we will have a, um, an alternative that is actually, you know, in some respects, superior. Not in all respects. Uh, motion handling isn't as good, but... Um, Bizarrely, even though it has an incredibly fast response time, but uh, certainly in terms of dynamic range, I mean, blacks are so black that when a scene goes black on an OLED, the TV just disappears, and it's actually quite disconcerting. Um, so, yeah, well, I mean, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens at CES. Um, obviously, as, as a plasma fan, I'd, I'd like to see at least one more generation from somebody. Um, as far as Panasonic goes, now they're out of the plasma market, all their hopes rest upon, well, 4K, Mark, and you've just seen their new 4K TV. So how did it fare? Oh, um, as I said in the summing up, um, if this is Panasonic's standard bearer for picture quality going forwards, they're going to have some problems. Um, it's an all right TV. It's just another LED LCD with a... But it's got a 4K panel. That's what differentiates it. But it has all the unfortunate uh, side effects you get with the with the technology, a lot of panel banding, dirty screen effects, uh, blurring, poor off-axis viewing. The blacks weren't too bad, but a little bit milky from a bit of light pooling. Um, yeah, just a bit of a disappointment. Well, uh, five and a half thousand pounds says it all, really. Um, there are much better TV, 65-inch TVs out there for your money. Uh, better 65-inch 4K TVs. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, we've seen. I think we've also seen better 65-inch 4K TVs that cost a little bit less, uh, HDMI 2.0 notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, that's about its USP, really. Um, yeah. It, oh, DisplayPort, of course, but I mean, that's yeah, I mean, that's, which is useful for some people, but um, not a, not a massive selling point. I wouldn't have thought. I, I kind of had a similar similar experience with the LG. Ultimately, it was similar, same price, five and a half grand, um, and it did some things really well, but. Uh, it was using a full array of backlight, and it's just too close to the panel. So you had this massive glowing around any bright object against a dark background, and you had really bad banding on any kind of horizontal pan of the camera. So football yeah. matches, where the camera's panning backwards and forwards across a uniform green field was just uh, dreadful. Yeah, and, you know, you, you, you're just thinking, it's not, uh, that's not good enough for this price point. No, no, you, you, no, exactly. I think <laughs> there's not much more to say about it, really. It's... I mean, Samsung and, and apparently Sony have, have really seemed to have up their game technologically and, and engineering-wise with the 4K panels we've seen. Um, not, you know, we haven't had, seen the ones out there in the wild, but um, you'd hope they were the same. Um, yeah. and, 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 and they're quite high-quality televisions. These are just all right, all right LEDs, LCD. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're also cheaper. <laughs> Um, I think you can get the Sony for less than four grand now. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. So, um, you know, for that basis alone, I would take the Sony over any of the others. Oh, apart from the Samsung and Sony have definitely, from my experience so far, have been by far and away the best 4K TVs. But as you said, Martin, hitting that on the head here, they are still just LED LCD TVs. Clearly, the real holy grail for for the AV enthusiast going forward is going to be 4K OLED. Again, we just see what, we, what comes out at CES. Hopefully, from Panasonic's perspective, they've got that, nailed next year because if yeah, they well, that's their great hope that's the that's the hope isn't it they can pull a rabbit out of the hat uh announce a two i mean they'll start with 2k oleds they're bound to release 2k oleds um and hope they can hit a price point that will leave the others standing um yeah and pick up some early momentum in OLED in the oled market now ironically else i can see them, can see them disappearing completely from televisions <laughs> yeah well quite i mean it is, not, it is quite a possibility but ironically just as uh, Panasonic are pulling out of the plasma market. Who should reappear in the TV market? Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah, but let's not get too excited. So, yeah, don't get too excited, guys. <laughs> They're only making LEDs. It was, a, it was a, kind of a nice headline more than more than anything else. Um, it's yeah, Dixon's um, Dixon's group have bought the the name effectively. If they're made by Vestal, then it's going to be you know, who makes TVs for just about every budget brand you can imagine, up to and including Toshiba. Uh, you know, if it's just a rebadged Vestal, then it's hardly going to be a quite no offensive Vestal. It's not going to be highly likely, really. Yeah, exactly. Highly, highly so, likely. They're going to be IPS panels, probably cheap IPS panels with average 
video processing and probably poor uniformity. Uh, besmirching the good name, but hey. <laughs> oh well, never mind. That's <laughs> that one, poo pooed. So if you remember, so, uh, when the, it was actually Pioneer when they released an LCD, that wasn't any great no, shakes was, anyway, was, was it? No, I saw one of those, a terrible band-aid on it, awful, shocking thing. And it cost a lot of money as well. So yeah, they, they were, and, uh, that's, you know, that, that was uh, after, that was after, um, after it said, decided um, Cora Plasma was a no-go. Had a nice, they had a quick stab at LED LCD using <laughs> the name and then backed out quickly. It had a nice surround from what I remember. It looked quite smart when it was yeah, off. quite smart, yeah. But not a good well, they, they flogged the Elite name too sharp over in the States, didn't they, as well? So they've kind of... Um, a pretty good job of uh, burying their reputation over the last. I mean, few you years. hope they aren't bad because it'll. I mean, they do make good products, don't they? We've seen EC. Yeah, oh well, yeah, and no, I love uh, some very good products from Pioneer over the years. Um, I mean, we've reviewed so quite a lot. I think that uh, something effectively carrying their brand name that people will associate with the brand quite naturally uh, might temper the enthusiasm. It just seems strange thing to do when we all, we've been talking last few weeks about how much trouble the TV industry is in. In terms of you know minimal margins, uh, you know a saturated marketplace, expensive new tech, but uh, people aren't buying into things like three D. So suddenly come back into the market now it seems like a strange time to me. And the, so, oh, did you see the situation with Philips completely confuses me? So Philips now TP Vision effectively in this country, but yeah, Philips well, have sold uh, off. TP Vision. So Philips sold their. TV armed to TP Vision, so it was a joint venture between Philips and TV Vision. TV Vision are a Taiwanese company, and and they effectively own the TV stuff. So Philips still make Philips as in the Dutch company still make you know, electric razors and that kind of stuff. But TVs are now Philips TP Vision, which is a separate company. So yes, but there's, there's there's a little there's an added complication to that, isn't there? Uh, there's, a, there's 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 some uh, Asian rights. They were they were going to sell oh, the TV well. rights in Asia. <laughs> if you want to, if you, you want another company, complex, and it, was, it just becomes perplexing. And if you want to see they release Philips TVs history. in this country with Gary and Philips names and with two brands of Philips, absolute madness. Uh, read, read my article about Marantz's history, uh, Mark. If you want to see a complex, yeah, three different Marantz operating in three different parts yeah. of the world. Well, we're faced with that, yeah, perspectively, that could be happening. With <laughs> uh, one of which involved Phillips again. Actually, come think about it. <laughs> I had they got form. Yeah, totally got form. Yeah, so Panasonic 4K TV. What did you give it in terms of score, Mark? Uh, all in all, a six. Heavily marked down on. Ooh, ooh harsh. A six is better than average. True, I suppose. Value for money, it was a five. That brings it down a lot. Um, yeah, overall six. Had its good points. Colours were good. Grayscale was great after calibration. Um, smart features were nice. Looked all right. Nice menus. A lot of money. Right, yes. so um, Panasonic 4K. Um, now, there was a, a recent bit of research that came out. I think you spotted it, Mark, saying that 10% of US homes are going to have 4K TVs by 2018. Yeah, this is uh, in the US, isn't it? Um, so it's, just, it's better, a lot better penetration than first than first expected. Um, as prices are dropping quicker than the manufacturers probably want, um, take up will inevitably grow. Uh, the TVs will be there in the showrooms and on the shops and online to buy as top of the range TVs. People like top of the range TVs. Uh, if you've got the money to spend, why not? Um, so as the natural upgrade cycle of the, uh, American public goes, which is I think it's around six to seven years. People will inevitably buy them, irrespective of them being UHD in a way. That will they know, in fact, um, what they're actually buying into? Uh, will they care? <laughs> who, who knows? Um, but they will buy them, which which gives the incentive, obviously, to the content providers to get some stuff out there, uh, get it sold, and, and get it watched. So it's it's got to be good news for the format. The more people that buy the the sets the more chance there is of people providing stuff to watch on it and, and, made, and ways of delivering it and expediting those ways of delivering yeah. it. And there's talk of a boom in 4K TVs in China as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, related. Um, slightly different ball game out there because the, the, the public really are kind of clueless uh, technologically. The, the masses. Oh, uh, I would disagree with that. Really? You've I know those. you've just been to Shanghai. Well, I'll, I'll come oh, on to that Shanghai stories, Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, sorry, or so that a study would have you believe, um, but that th they just generally associate with the higher resolution uh, on the back of the smartphone and and tablet and PC world, better screen resolution, better TV, better technology. We want it. Uh, don't really care so much about the and the and the, and the cheap tiny 
<coughs> Chinese panels or Far Far East uh, panel makers are all waiting in the wings to satiate this demand. Well, you only had to look at EFA this year um, with an entire haul of of Chinese 4K panels just yeah. just raring to go. Um, I have to say that this I looked at this news article and I I I honestly thought that that was lower than I th I, I thought we we might be uh, by 2018. Is my was my gut feeling on that i think we could be it, it, i don't know it's obviously hugely reliant on on how content is delivered and, and and things like that but in many ways i think they that that might be guardedly sort of cautious or pessimistic in terms yeah, of I think what you might see it's just based on the natural upgrade uh, average yeah. upgrade cycle so uh, if people if 4k excites enough people out there then people will actively go out and buy it rather than buy it as a as a feature that's just included with the top end set, uh, it will it will take that. It will take the, the public's imagination being stirred sufficiently uh, for people to want to actively go out and upgrade ahead of their usual cycle. Sure. As you alluded to, I have just got back from Shanghai um, on a trip to China with Vivitech, who are the projector brand of a company called Delta. And I have to say, one of the I mean, I've been to China before, but one of the things that maybe people haven't been to China before is, is what's eye opening is just the sheer scale. Of everything out there. I mean, we were in uh, Shanghai, which has a population of 23 million, which is makes it the biggest city in the world. But we were just outside Shanghai, but the factory was in a place called Wuzhang. Um, that's next to a town called, city called Shuzhou. So Shuzhou has set six and a half million uh, um, citizens. Over in Wuzhang, there's another um, like eight million. So the combined population of that area where the factories um, that Delta own are uh, was over 14 million people. That's bigger than any city in Europe except for Moscow. I mean, there are cities in China with 10 million people in them you've never heard of. Um, it's just staggering. And the, the, the factories themselves, they had 27, Delta had 27,000 employees in the factories in Wuzhang. Just, it's just uh, staggering um, economies of scale here. And you can see, you know, why China has become the world's factory. But the infrastructure, uh, roads, uh, technology, is, you know, you, they are quite astute. I mean, they were telling me they had some Russian guys went out a few weeks ago with Delta. And they were expecting a third world country and were absolutely gods at what they found, which is anything but. And when you go to Shanghai, the skyscrapers, it's like you expect to see cars flying over your head. And it's just like the Jetsons. It's just insane. It's, it's insane. Now, come on, Steve. I know that there are some stories of the China, certain people in China are legendarily bad drivers, but they can't all be crashing, sure. Oh, uh, driving, honestly, uh, the rules of the road are obviously just guidelines that are largely ignored, as are indications, and which side of the road you drive on as well, for that matter. It was terrifying being in the back of taxis at certain points. People, people would drive around on electric um, mopeds, so they don't make any sound, and they'd have no lights on and dark clothes at night. It's a one. The death toll on their roads must be catastrophic. Quality. <laughs> but there was a building being built, um, uh, which isn't quite finished yet, but it's just being topped out at the moment. It's going to be the second tallest building in the world. It's called the Shanghai Tower. Uh, it's second to, obviously, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Um, but they are plans to start building a, a, a tower in a city I'd never even heard of in China that will be bigger than the Burj Khalifa. And you're thinking, like, okay, so that's a serious amount of money. We got the maglev train from the airport into Shanghai. We were traveling at 431 kilometers an hour, Jeez. which, uh, again, they just, you know, there's so much money and investment and technology in China is staggering. Also, by the way, an unbelievable level of pollution. <laughs> were you listening to the Vangelis Blade Runner score? On your <laughs> right, well, that is what you think in. of. If it rains at night, your thought immediately turns to Blade Runner. <laughs> Uh, that is very true. But anyway, it was, um, so Delta, uh, again, a um, uh, company I wasn't familiar with other than through Vivitech, uh, absolutely gigantic. I, I guarantee you that every single person listening to the podcast, all of you on, you, know, you guys, you all have products made by Delta, you just don't know it. They make uh, the power supplies for Apple, for example. So if you've got a MacBook Pro, product made by Delta. Just that they make so much stuff. Um, and what's interesting about the Vivitech product that their projectors are, with the exception of the bulb and the, the chip from Texas Instruments, the DLP chip, Everything else is made in-house. So we got to see them making uh, color wheels, assembling the projectors. Uh, I finally got to understand why three-chip DLP is so expensive because it's so difficult and labor-intensive to make compared to a single-chip machine. Uh, it was fascinating. It was really, really interesting trip. Um, you know, we got they packed in so much, not just in terms of the factory and presentations, but also we got to see some of Shuzhou and, and quite a lot of Shanghai too. Uh, it was a really, really good trip. And um, yeah, there'll, be an, there'll be an article up uh, hopefully in a day or two from this uh, podcast. Uh, just going through some of the stuff I saw there. That Did you get to eat anything rare or endangered? 
Uh, the food was, uh, no, I did not eat anything rare or endangered. Uh, the food, though, was absolutely superb. Really yeah, I saw that photo uh, on Facebook. That's that's when I had a real pang of jealousy. Tep- the tep- uh, the um, teppanyaki place we went to, yeah. Um, that just amazing. Yeah. Uh, we had Japanese, we had um, we had Vietnam, uh, no, Thai and Chinese, and it was all top drawer, really lovely food. <laughs> Stuff my face. <laughs> uh, right, well, I think that's it for hardware news. Um, next up, games news. And welcome back for Games News. Uh, now, uh, Mark Botwright, we'll give, we give Mark Hodgson a rest now. He's been doing a fair bit of talking today. Uh, Mr. Botwright, uh, I see that um, the new chief um, of Microsoft is talking about possibly selling off the gaming division. Well, it's the, the mooted potential next chief uh, replacement for Steve Ballmer. Um, the chap from Nokia, Stephen Elop. Yeah. Uh, this comes from a, a Bloomberg piece with some insiders who claim knowledge of his kind of business acumen um, and how he tends to operate. And it seems to be indicating that there might be some kind of restructure, placing the emphasis upon things that are going to be profitable. Um, and so therefore, games division might have to account for itself, so to speak, and start turning serious numbers, which could basically explain why um, Yusuf Mehdi said that the Xbox One would be sold for it would either break even or be making a small profit from launch, which is you know practically unheard of in 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 the realm of of consoles. You know traditionally they always get sold at a loss, and uh, if if they're lucky they make it back on games early on. But I think the Wii's been the only one in recent times that's been selling at a profit straight away. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that pans out. Whether it, it does have any great effect, and. As with everything with Microsoft, do you think uh, in the wake of Steve Ballmer leaving, there's going to be some some interesting moves afoot, um, saying that perhaps he might look to to put more emphasis on Microsoft Office? And you think that you know traditionally software is where Microsoft made its money and where it had that monopoly. So perhaps rather than fighting with things like Bing against Google and places where they're kind of pl- plowing in money to with you know, little headway, um, they regroup and just look at what divisions are turning a profit. Yeah, well, that would make good sense, wouldn't it? I mean, when you think about it, we've, we've already discussed at length uh, some of Microsoft's less successful ventures, the Surface Tablet, for example. The Xbox One launch has not been, hasn't gone that smoothly, and we're going to talk about a few more problems it's got coming up. Um, it launches, obviously, on the 22nd um, of this month. So I guess we'll see how well it does. I mean, I think everyone's used it will just sell out initially, um, just with limited supply. But um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've got to think if under Steve Ballmer they have made some less than successful, um, you know, forays into different markets, then it would make sense to to you know consolidate what you know best and where you have an inherent strength. Mark B, just out of interest, do you know how far from profitability the games division is? I mean, is it something they could realistically close the gap on, or are they almost entirely dependent on the largesse of of whoever it is that comes in to replace the insane Mr. Steve Ballmer? Well, I I think, I mean, they've basically, they've done the groundwork. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how profitable it is, but, I mean, the first two consoles you're assuming that, yeah, you've got to, as soon as you're breaking into a new marketplace, you've got to be selling at a loss in some way to try and get out there, to try and get the, the units into homes. And now third console, if they are, as was indicated by Yusuf Medi, they're selling this thing at, you know, a, even just a sliver of a profit. That's, you know, that's fantastic business sense from the off. I mean, even if if you consider they get beaten by the PlayStation 4 for number of units in homes, um, if the difference between a company taking a significant hit on everyone going out there and then making a profit on every single one and then further on, you know, the tax rate for, for people buying games early on will be, you know, a couple, two or three, something like that, then, yeah, that will surely show on the next set of accounts. Um, but uh, obviously they're, they're putting everything really with, with the one in this idea of selling services it's it's what it was kind of based on originally when the idea of online you know always online and the idea of uh, a kind of license based model for you know basically for buying games that you couldn't then just resell at your own uh, leisure 
and so that they're still going down that route. So therefore, they'll as, be looking as our at Sony. To be fair, I mean, they, they they want to sell you Sony Unlimited services just as much as Microsoft want to sell you theirs. Oh yeah, oh definitely. But the, but the difference is is that I, I think um, the amount that Microsoft are going to keep behind the paywall. And yeah, you know, that's that's shocking. I, I can't be dealing with that at all. That's really put me off the one. I mean, I kind of knew it was happening, but it's, it is it is putting me off for someone who doesn't now game as much as as I would like. Uh, it's I, I'm more of a I want I want a box that'll do it all, um, but yeah. I don't want to have to pay a live subscription to get it. The likes of Netflix. That's just a crazy well, crazy. Well, what story you sent me, Mark? What, right, um, Xbox One won't support 3D Blu-rays. Yes, this was um, uh, rep told CNET that it, it you know, you can't rule it out in an update. But basically, the word was it's not part of the existing strategy. So that doesn't sound like something that's just going to be rolled out or just happens to have, you know, it might miss the launch window. It just sounds like something that perhaps they don't want to pony up for. It's, uh, you know, low on the list of priorities, which considering you've got a box that you're trying to market as the all in one <laughs> entertainment system. As soon as you start chipping things away and you're saying, you know, by the way, you know, the TV guide's not going to be there for launch. And by the way, it's not supporting 3D Blu-rays. And then we've got other things that we were going uh, to get on to about. Compatibility for cloudies. Um, oh, yes, that's that's another pretty big one as well. I mean, backwards compatibility is the kind of thing that everyone talks about in the transitional phase, but ultimately it, it falls away. But yeah. if Sony get it up and working with Gaikai and the PS4, people are playing PS2, PS3 games on their PS4, that's that's a huge that's a huge bonus for anyone. You know that, what's that, the uh, what's the outlook with Gaikai? How, how how soon did Sony think they'll have that ready? Ooh, I I, I have no idea about that. And given the fact that you know, <laughs> there's no native, you know, MP3 support or DLNA and external hard drive support. Yeah, and lack of you, DLNA well, that, really, that surprised really me. Surprised that. me cause I mean, I don't want something that's worse than the PS3. I want something that's better than the PS3. I want, you know, I mean, not playing CDs, that just seems like they're being willful because it's a it's a Blu-ray drive. It can play CDs, it can play through DVDs. And it, 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 there's no reason why it shouldn't. So... We, why would they do yeah, that? And, and all the Bravia products, I mean, they're always really good on the DLA front and the networking and all yep. this kind of stuff. And, you know, what, what's, what's the thinking there? I mean, I'm starting to think, do I even, if that's the case, maybe I'll just flog my, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a PS4 in order. If it's going for, you know, double the money on eBay, I'm going to sell it and just buy a decent Blu ray player then because, <laughs> you know, I, I want something that's going to do, uh, be a, I was expecting I was going to buy uh, a PS3 but better. But it seems like that's not the case. I'm buying a games machine. I don't necessarily want that. Well, I it think this, like these things will get added, won't they? But well, I hope so. It's like both of these companies have gone out of their way to have a, have a competition to who can be the most spectacularly disappointing over the last over the last sort of these last spate of releases over the last month or so. Uh, I mean, I, I was going to hold off anyway. Um, I have other things, other priorities. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it, about it. Well, that that and many other wonderful and, and bizarre <laughs> yes, that things. Coach but, just cleaned you out, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's just it makes it, it literally the DNLA bit in particular just is that's just pointlessly spiteful. I don't get that at all, um, and I will be making no effort to go anywhere near a PS4 until such time as that is corrected, which won't be remotely difficult for them to do. Well, the Xbox One is going to have DLNA support, but it'll be as a Play Two receiver. So therefore, it's there, but it's kind of semi, you know, restricted. Um, no native MP3 support on that either. So you can play it through if you're streaming it from another device. But again, no CD support. So it it does seem like, should we say, a large amount of the feature set that you would hope we'll be talking about in a year's time, that a lot of them have been touting since launch, will actually be there. It's just right now, I think the the... The whole launch window and the amount of bad press that a console will get if it's unstable will be massive. You know, the, the, whichever one looks like it's got shaky OS and whichever one's crashing is the one that's going to get that kind of red ring of death, bad publicity about it. So I think, you know, PS4, you're not getting suspend and resume at launch, which everyone thought was, you know, a great selling yeah. feature. It's there on the Vita. Again, that's another little step back. I mean, just today, I think it was... Um, Launched that the uh, news that Sky's Now TV app for the One won't be around. It was touted as something for launch or around launch or in the launch window, and now it's going to be next summer. 
you know, no, no iPlayer either on, on either yet, although BBC, BBC have said they're now working on it, haven't they? Well, yeah. PS4's not going to be able to... Things like um, sharing was a big thing that they, they touted. Uh, no YouTube upload. You can upload to Facebook... Yeah. But lots straight, of, lots of empty promises, isn't it? It is. So basically, massively underwhelming for both of them at the moment. Yeah, it is. It, it's one of those things where I think lots of uh, footage was cut together with um, hopeful features that would be there, and all of a sudden, when they're locked into a, a time frame to actually get these things out the door, suddenly someone says, "Hang on, we don't have actually. enough time to do all of it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. Well, I guess I guess um, we'll find out one way or the other on the 22nd for the Xbox One and on the 29th for the PS4. Uh, don't forget, everybody, that this Thursday, the 14th, it's the Games Podcast. If you want to hear some more from Mr. Botwright, you'll be hearing him again on that one. Um, that's about it for games. We'll be back in a second with tech news. And welcome back for tech news. And now, um, not much here at the moment, but one of the news that stories that has broken is that Apple apparently working on a curved iPhone 6. Mark? Uh, Mark Hodgson, that is. Uh, what yeah, can you say? That, that's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> okay, go on, we'll expand a little bit. No, we'll yeah, Apple um, it always supply chain up. sources, usual usual places. We get these little snip, tidbits of information uh, would suggest that Apple are gearing themselves up uh, probably for a next year, or almost certainly for a next year release, uh, of two curved iPhones, uh, likely to be the iPhone 6, uh, in larger screen sizes, so 4.7 and 5.5 inch. Um, no word on the on the screen tech, uh, presumably, I'm OLED of some description. Um, Why it's curved, presumably. <laughs> yeah, I presume it is, but it, it might not be, because of course we've seen you can, you can curve other screens. Um, yeah. I've seen some mock-ups of the design, it looks very, very stylish. Uh, Are those real yeah. mock-ups, or was that just fake mock-ups? Is that, is that what someone thinks they might look like? There's a, prop, a proper design company who are involved in the design of these sort of things. I mean, I think that's a lovely looking thing. They look quite cool, but I'm just, um, and bigger uh, screen sizes definitely. Uh, and, the think point, the yeah, and the point of curved screens is. Is it so that, so that the phone just fits comfortably with the, against the breast or against your bum in your back pocket? Uh, well, I yeah, but if. Yes, I, would. if I, would, I wouldn't be risking my six and break it. it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a, one of these things I'm kind of struggling to see the point of curved, curved foam. I was looking at those mock I was interested in saying about fake mock ups and real mock ups, a bizarre concept when talking about mock ups, but I know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, just looked, I just looked at both. I, I, I have to say, whilst you, you guys seem to have a, a special hatred for curved screens, I'm sort of ambivalent towards that. Um, I just I don't get it at all. It, the, the, when you start to curve something, for every one person that finds that that curve to be a useful and comfortable thing there'll be three people that go no i don't want i don't want anything to do with that um the one thing I is just, that i'd say they curve away don't they this one yeah they curve away, away from your ear and mouth which doesn't make any sense to me at all yeah so you'd have to hold it backwards uh oh, it's it's just, strange. just no. sounds absolute bobbins i'm no interest no, no i'm kind of leading on from tech I'm struggling to understand. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to bring it up now. Um, the, we got a release today for uh, a Dutch company, uh, Berg. 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 Um, and the Hong Kong smartwatch, which is the first smartwatch uh, announced that will accept a SIM card. So you can operate it independently as a phone for uh, texting, taking photos, ca calling, making and answering calls with a built-in mic. Um yeah, independently of needing other kit to to make it work properly, such as um, in the case of the Galaxy Gear, you need a top of the range Galaxy smartphone or tablet to to be able to make or receive calls. Uh, and with the uh, smartwatch too, the Sony product, you need a Bluetooth headset as well to be able to make calls. So it's the first standalone smartwatch, as it were. Um, and it's coming out for Christmas price around two hundred and sixty pounds. I still well, I like the name. It's a good name. Mm. <laughs> I'm not giving you any encouragement. I'm not quite sure why it's called cool, no Hong encouragement. Kong. No strange name, Hong Kong. But <laughs> presumably, it, maybe it was designed or built over there or conceived over uh, there. I, I think they were smoking some stuff when they were designing it. You know, and they thought, yeah, let's just call it something, something Asian. <laughs> oh, cats, cats! Hang on, the cat scratched the kid. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless! I've got a Monday. cat with me. <laughs> 
but thankfully Kirsty's on baby on on child duty. So that, that's, that's my good. mental image of what's going on behind Mark as he's talking to us is just utter chaos. <laughs> Right, it sounds like this it. is quiet. Yeah. Uh, well, no, they are at least being quiet. Did you gag them or something before? We no, started? no, no, no. Just a threat of no ice cream on Fridays is enough. <laughs> well, that would work on me, actually. Yeah, <laughs> there you honest. go. See, it's a strong, powerful stuff, powerful substance. Right. So, smart watches and curved phones. That's the future, everyone. That's, yeah, that's it for tech news this week. You're welcome to it. You can either <laughs> talk into your wrist like a madman or yeah. have something which bends away from your mouth. Wow. Yeah. Like um, Inspector Gadget. Looks really cool. Get a hat, trench coat. Inspector Gadget was entertaining. I would not, under any circumstances, describe him as cool. He was (laughs) hapless. He was help. He was basically saved every time by a child. He would look cool if we put him into a shot coat. Well, that be that as it may, right up until the point where helicopter blades came out of his head, in which case he'd look like a dick. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, speaking of uh, of movies and movie characters, we'll be back with movies in a minute. And welcome back to movie news. Now, one of the big stories that broke last week was that uh, Marvel, who are owned by Disney, are going to be teaming up with Netflix uh, to produce original series for some of their minor Marvel characters, so people like Daredevil, which was a film with Ben Affleck, funny enough, um, but didn't do very well. This is really interesting because, uh, first of all, obviously Marvel owned by Disney, who already own a network in the state. They own ABC, and they're currently making a TV series. Um, it's on Channel 4 right now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which is a primetime uh, TV series linked to the Marvel Universe. But the idea behind the Netflix deal, I believe, is that um, this gives them an opportunity to make things a little bit more hard-edged, a bit more adult. Um, and they can do that on Netflix uh, um, in, I think they're planning four different series of four different characters, 13 episodes of series. Um, again, it's it's interesting that A and Disney are doing this with Netflix, but it just shows you how powerful and, and how big Netflix is becoming in such a short space of time. And in fact, to prove that, this is a story that Mark uh, Hodgkinson picked up on, which is that there was um, some um, analysis done of, of current uh, traffic and Netflix and YouTube currently account for 50% of total US data traffic. 50%. Um, and in the UK, Netflix is already at 20% of our traffic, and that's only after two years of being available in the UK. Uh, so, you know, what it means is not only uh, do you see how much streaming and download services are, are taking precedent, but also file-to-file, person-to-person file sharing is just, you know, that's just uh, dying off now. It's less than 10% in the US. Um, you know, and I think that, 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 that just shows that not just the, the TV industry, but also I think the way people are using the internet is are fundamentally changing over the last couple of years, and a lot of it is down to Netflix. What's your views on Netflix, guys? Well, I'm a, a late convert, but an almost complete, completely sort of total one. Um, whether, I mean, I know that uh, Phil in the past has said that uh, with certain bits of that's been done for them, House of Cards, etc., that it's being the joy of being able to sit down and just sort of gorge yourself on, on, on stuff. I personally don't find it works like that for me but it's more a case that if i'm looking through the tele- sky television guide and there's nothing on for 25 minutes i go do you know what i will watch an archer on netflix and instantly i've got something which will be fit to space it starts instantly and you know i i, I have i have some flexibility beyond it sit for me at the moment it's augmenting rather than replacing my existing TV providers, and um, but it's doing a fantastic job of doing it. And um, when I'm uh, staring uh, blankly at my flailing child at three o'clock in the morning, I can also use Netflix on my iPad to just make myself feel marginally less dreadful. So it's it's quite helpful there as well. What about you, Mark? Yeah, uh, similar to Ed, a bit of a, a late convert, but I, I think it's it's that the ideal of TV on demand, which is not just whether you can gorge yourself, but you know that there's always something on tap there. So there's no no longer that sense of scrambling around what's on, but you know that you've got that access to a library of things that you know you, your tastes are well catered for in some way or another. And browsing, there's not. It just, I don't know, it, 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 once you use something like Netflix, all of a sudden it seems strangely antiquated to go back to a TV guide and say something starts in half an hour. 
right, what do I do? Uh, if I want to watch that, I can go away and do something else or watch something else or, you know, I can, you know, tape it or something. Whereas with stuff like Netflix, you just, you're there straight away. So, yeah, I, I can see why it's taken off. I can, and I can certainly see why it's accounting for so much traffic because obviously it's, it's, you know, streaming video content. Um, yeah, very much a convert. I suppose I was, I did, I was about to say I don't gorge myself. I did watch eight, <laughs> epi- eight episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation in a row a couple of weekends ago when it appeared on Netflix. I basically watched all, all of my favourite episodes in the first four seasons in, in a big row and then suddenly felt very dirty and sad after I'd finished. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's because you are very dirty and sad. Well, be that as it may, it doesn't stop me from occasionally experiencing an acute pang of self-awareness. Having <laughs> uh, I, I was a late com- uh, convert as well, actually. Um, but now that I've got it, I, I use it a lot, partly for catching up on things I'd missed in the past. I recently, a bit like Ed, uh, gorged on myself on um, two seasons of Dexter that I hadn't seen yet, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I watched all of four seasons of Fringe, which I was thinking of buying, which would have cost me 100 quid to buy on Blu-ray. And you know, suddenly that means that the 5 99 a month is costing me has paid for itself for at least the next year and a half. Um, but what, what for me is interesting about Netflix is, that, is the stuff they're making themselves, because that, that's, for me, a game changer. It's not just that they're showing old shows or catching up on stuff or even showing more recent stuff. They're making content, and it's good content. And the deal with, uh, first of all, the deal they did with Sony to show Breaking Bad in the UK the day after it premiered in the States was a was a big deal, uh, I think, because that was that was a bit of a game changer. I'm also amazed that Breaking Bad didn't have a regular broadcaster in the UK, which is staggering in itself. But um, now that they're doing things like teaming up with Marvel Disney, I mean, that, that's teaming up with an existing uh, studio stroke network, um, which means you know that, that Netflix has become is mainstream. I mean, it's already got more subscribers than HBO. It, it, it's going to be a seriously serious player. Um, but isn't also I mean, one of the great things is that it's got this global market. So whereas you've in, in US TV, you've got this fragmentation. You've got kind of uh, shows getting pitched and then they inevitably get cancelled, uh, you know, through one season or something like that. And they've got to rely upon being able to sell them to foreign markets and the like. And there's a certain amount of it just seems to be whether anyone's actually confident enough in the product they're actually producing. Whereas if someone like Netflix creates something, they know they can put it out across all different countries without having to suddenly try and hawk it around. Whereas one of the big things that's kind of saddened me in TV in recent years has been the amount of shows that are just getting cancelled. Decent stuff and, and things like, I mean, recently, stuff like Under the Dome has come to TV. Now that was pitched as a miniseries. You know, Stephen King adaptation miniseries, thirteen episodes. So I think fine, right? I'll start watching that. That's fair enough. I've not read the book. I'm mildly interested, and it, it gets successful halfway through the run, and then it's suddenly decided that they're going to elongate it and turn it into a series, and so there'll be a second series. So you'll ne- get no actual logical conclusion, and it's yeah, deviated so really from the original that. material. Uh, whereas so- something like Netflix, you think, right? You're big enough, and you're powerful enough, and you're able to put out across all different markets then you can you know you can be confident if you're making something like house of cards in the product itself without having to think well where's it going to go from here and can we bankroll the second season the other thing is they're not not pushing for they they have the added luxury of course that it's not a case of what what day and time do we pitch this at you know it doesn't you know, obviously it starts when the person wants wants to view it and and that has a huge effect at all because you don't suddenly find yourself in conflict with something which is which is the 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 show the show of the moment yeah no that's massive i mean it, if you ever see some of like the the documentaries about u.s shows that have that were kind of classics and the like things like uh seinfeld and you, you suddenly realize how precarious the position was in the early series when they just had to get put in the right time slot to piggyback off something like Cheers or something like that to get in the right place to be able to get that leftover traffic to be able to get then another series. You also don't have to pander to um, advertisers, um, which is another benefit for Netflix. They're not, you know, not, not worried about whether they're going to offend one of the major sponsors and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think we should go through. And they have brought back cancelled tv shows of course famously they've they've made a third season of um or fourth season of um arrested development which was cancelled off of network television 
um, amazingly because I thought it was a great show, but being good isn't always a guarantee of lasting in the States. Um, and interestingly, one of the other things that picked up, Mark picked up in his story is that in, in countries where there is Netflix, there's been a massive decrease in pirating. In countries where there isn't Netflix, it's still quite popular. So I think from the point of view of the um, you know, the studios and the networks um, who make this make a lot of this content, Netflix has been good for them because it's reduced piracy and they've had people be happy to pay, partly because Netflix is so cheap. If I find a month, you know, why wouldn't you get it, really? Um, you get so much stuff for practically nothing. Um, I guess the big fear is that as networks be, Netflix becomes more popular, it increases in cost. Well, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I think mm. they have to balance the amount of development budget they have against... At the moment, it's a, it's a it's a, a sum of money that, as you say, it's it's really in the grand scheme of things, it's no consequence. I mean, along with the ten pounds a month I spend on Spotify Premium, something pretty terrible would have to happen to my 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 general financial status before I, I canned either of those two things. You'd but have to sell the jacket. I never, <laughs> I, well, no, if I'm reduced to living in a box, at least I'm going to live in a leather-lined box. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, they can but, bury you in it, can't they? Well, absolutely. But, uh, it, yeah, the, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they've got a bit of breathing space. If they could, if they have enough things to justify a, a price increase, I think, um, ironically, it's my wife that pays for it. I think I think she'd, she'd stomach a, a small increase on it. But, yeah, you, 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 you've got to be careful. Um you know, I don't want to start sort of looking at it and thinking, oh, I could have bought such and such with that instead. And that would have been a bit more of a challenge. Yeah, I think it, 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 it ultimately will come down to content. For example, if it was available in the UK, I would happily pay for HBO because I think they produce some or so many shows that I think are awesome. Some of my favourite stuff has been made on HBO and, and their quality and, and the breadth of their content is staggering. Um and if Netflix can, can go, and they've uh, so far they are going that direction. They've been produced. I've seen all the Netflix original series that they've made so far. They've all been excellent, um, good top 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 production qualities. You know, really well written, well acted, great shows. Uh, much like HBO. And if they can continue to do that, that that trend continues, then you know, even if they increase the cost of the service, I think it would still be worth having. Um, but you're right; it, it, time will tell. But it's definitely. I mean, it's interesting times in terms of you know what's happening with the TV market and, uh, between broadcast and you know, and download and on demand. Who will win ultimately? I don't know, but it's definitely uh, it's good news for the consumer because it means you can watch whatever you whenever you want whenever you want. Which is uh, I don't I don't watch anything based upon the schedules anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously we're seeing we're seeing a further fragmentation of this. I mean, for those of you that that care about twenty two millionaires ruining a lawn. Um, BT have just spent over eight hundred million pounds on um, on Champions League coverage rights, which is you know that's for a, another platform that that you might have you know, that truly committed fans. I use the word committed instead of demonstrably insane. Will uh, will have to look into into sort of spending out on, and um, it, it, it's clearly having an effect. I mean, I my my interest in this is 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 sort of tangential but uh, i watched um i was listening to the news on the way back from the airport yesterday and uh sky's shares uh yesterday was the first day of trading after the announcement sky lost seven percent of their value on on this announcement i mean admittedly what's weird is that bt only grew gained uh, just over a percent on this and uh, there's a lot of concerns that they have grossly overpaid for it but um but no it, it it's it's very clear that there are there's all sorts of um that there's all sorts of different different sort of players moving into this in, in into various different areas be it drama be it sport be it whatever and it, it as it comes back to whether I guess, you know, you're looking at your, your, your six pounds Netflix, when you're then looking at all oh, my BT sports subscription, I wouldn't be chopping in Sky because there's other things that are happening there that BT aren't doing. And yet, all of a sudden, it's starting to look horribly messy and potentially very expensive. If you so care has about. BT got all of these Champions League? Or is there still going to be some stuff on ITV? Like there been will be free. nothing on terrestrial television. Now, God almighty. From my You'll get free, free, didn't they say they'll be showing... Um, some matches free though they did but they didn't say which ones and do bear in mind that you, there are because the champions league does allow for some surprisingly no mark teams to make it to at least the group stage <laughs> uh, when they say free you could be watching uh you know tromzo 
from so Norway. Were, well, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> but, uh, they could, uh, the, you know, it, it, it might be some distance away from what you envisage a European Champions game to be. And, um, yeah, I... Uh, but isn't this it, just going to drive people towards BT Broadband? I mean, the end goal of it. That's that's the plan. Yes, uh, absolutely. It's a sweetener. Uh, and, you know, as someone who has been a BT broadband subscriber in the past, you know, you start paying a thoroughly reasonable sum. And by the uh, remarkable achievement of just putting up the bill by an amount that you just can't be asked to switch over every couple of months, you suddenly think, oh, my God, I'm paying an absolute sodding fortune for my Internet. But I do get free football, which in my case would be absolutely and totally uninteresting. Absolutely wasted on me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the football remains a bit different because uh, with other sports, it's a bit less clear cut because obviously Sky went in for Formula One and I think you know, the intention... ruin was, that one, I think. Well, they, well, the other thing is that... The, well, no, there was a genuine study on this because you've got people like me. I mean, I'm a Sky su- subscriber. I've, I've got movies, but I've, I have never subscribed to Sky Sports. And unfortunately, most events like Formula One do not happen with enough regularity that I drop the amount of money required for a sports subscription to watch 20 events a year. And that's that's where the problems kick in. So obviously, Formula One is on Sky, but it, I, I get I don't have to have a, Sky, a sports subscription to watch it. They're not completely stupid. But I think that they didn't realise that when they chipped in and, and bought it in the first place. Yeah. Isn't this why they're doing things like the, you know, day tickets or whatever, you know, so you can just buy buy it for particular events? Well, that and the fact that those day tickets work out as a fantastic margin when you actually look at what you pay for versus what the cost per day is on a monthly subscription. Oh, but 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 that's what pay per view always has been, always for yes. the big big you yeah. know boxing fights and the like. It always has been like that. You know, the idea is that you're supposed to kind of club together and get a few people who are willing to watch it. Um, but it, it, on a on a kind of purely sports level, it is sad that we're seeing the erosion of free viewable sports on terrestrial TV. That's, the that's fact, long gone, Mark, isn't it, really, to be I, honest? Yeah, Apart but, from a few of the gra- it, crown jewels of sport, it's all it, bloody on satellite now. It is. I mean, you can't you can't watch the Ashes. You can't watch. You won't be able to watch the Champions League. Um, Christ Almighty! You won't even be able to watch Europa League. You know that's dire. That's not Um, necessarily a bad thing. Oh no, no, (laughs) but there's sleeping pills cost money. There's two different problems here, though, isn't there? Because football is a different case. There's just so much money floating around in it that it's always going to to gravitate towards the content providers with the money but when you're looking at cricket formula one golf um obviously terrestrial broadcasters have got more channels to play with than they did but nonetheless um i have to be honest i do think that dedicated sports channels work better for these things i mean when you're dealing with five days of cricket and the effect that that has on the rest of scheduling i mean every time that wimbledon happens i die a little inside i loathe tennis i can't even begin to describe how much i loathe tennis um and yeah even with that and even with the hundreds of other channels available to me it still winds me up royally when it pisses about with schedules every time it happens i think i think Um, what is interesting is that is that sky's entire business model has been based upon delivering um delivering sport right monopolizing it to a certain extent and it's being gradually chipped away at uh, particularly by BT, you know, and if that's the case, that you know, and, and people are already downloading their movies and watching them from multiple, multiple different sources, um, you know, Sky could find it, its its monopoly or its certainly its dominance being slowly eroded by by competitors. Well, we'll see. Anyway, I mean, let's move on. That's, that's enough of Netflix and Sky <laughs> for one week. Um, actually, this question is going to sound a bit stupid now because it's at myself. But what's at the cinema, Steve? Um, this week, I saw Gravity, which is Alfonso Cuarón's new film. Um, a long time in the making. And Phil and I were at uh, Pinewood Studios two years ago when they were shooting this. Um, so it's taken a long time, but you can see why it's taken a long time because, it, it, I mean, almost the entire film is computer-generated aside from the actual actors themselves, which is uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. Mostly Sandra Bullock, who, who for large portions of the film is completely on her own. It's an amazing film. I mean, it, uh, technologically, as an achievement, it is quite 
staggeringly. The, the 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 effects of the 3D, the sound design, everything about it is just brilliant. I mean, it really is. It's only 90 minutes long. But it's it's a nail biting thrill ride of an experience. Some of the film doesn't make a lot. You, I, mean, I mean, I know it's meant to be very scientifically accurate, but frankly, it isn't. In some places, you think, well, that's just cobblers, um, and you know, at, at times you sort of think. Uh, there's a scene with a, with a fire extinguisher, which is just straight out of Wally. So, um, but it is one of the few films that actually treat science uh, space realistically. So there's no uh, sound in space. Uh, when you hear sounds, they're actually conducted through a suit, so they're kind of muffled to a certain extent. Um, but it is it is a, a really exciting thrill ride. A little heavy handed in some of its symbolism. An absolutely amazing performance by Sandra Bullock, who I said for large parts of the film is predominantly on her own. Um, Alfonso Cuarón, I've always been impressed. I think he's been he's fantastic. But he made the best Harry Potter movie, in my opinion, with Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I thought Children Men was a fantastic achievement. It had some really amazing single take scenes in it, and so does so does Gravity. In fact, the first ten minutes or so is just a single take, or looks like a single take, um, and you sort of realise, I think, hang on, this whole film going to be one take? It, it isn't. It does actually cut, but uh, but there are some brilliant one take sequences in it. Um, it's basically the premise is that they're um, working on the Hubble Hubble Space Telescope from the shuttle. Um, uh, satellite debris hits each other and, and basically spreads out. It's some sort of effect that is actually a genuine effect that could happen. And as this debris hits the shuttle and, and semi-destroys it, um, they get detached from it um, and have to make their way down to the International Space Station, which in reality would be impossible, but obviously this is a film, um, to try and survive um, and get back to Earth. Um, yeah, it's. It, I was uh, the 3D in it. Although it's, it's it is a um, conversion as opposed to native 3D. Since some, so much of the film is CG anyway, uh, it's 3D looks really good. I mean, it, it is probably as close as you're going to get to being in space without actually going into space. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, an absolutely remarkable piece of filmmaking. Um, interestingly, it's done brilliantly. In th- I mean, it is a film that was conceived for 3D and has used it very effectively and creatively, and that's been um, sort of played up by the box office where it's been a massive hit in terms of 3D screenings, the biggest 3D hits since Avatar in that sense, in terms of number of um, people going to see it in 3D. Possibly 3D's last hurrah, I don't know. I mean, overall, the format's been gradually dying, particularly in the West, not so much in China, where it's still massively popular. Um, but certainly, you know, it's just going to show that 3D can be, you know, it can be popular as long as the person making that film, the director or the you know, the, the creators and are actually using it effectively and um, imaginatively. I mean, certainly, um, I thought the 3D in Life of Pi was incredible. Again, uh, Ang Lee used it creatively, and that's what you need to do. You, rather than just doing it for the sake of doing it, I saw Thor, The Dark World, in 3D two weeks ago, you know, and it was just, there was no reason for it other than the fact that they wanted to show it in 3D, and it was a post-conversion. You could tell in some scenes that it was converted, um, not so much with the effects stuff, but certainly when it's just two people talking, you know, when you know what a person looks like in real life, you can spot fake 3D. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just goes to show, done well, 3D can still be popular. Gravity is a, a remarkable achievement from Alphonse de Caron. It's been a long time coming, but uh, now that it's here, he hasn't let us down. Uh, I, I'd highly recommend it um, to anyone who wants to go and see it. It really is a, a mark. And, and try and see it on as big a screen as possible. And if, if you can see it in IMAX, then do that, because it will be an utterly immersive experience. Have you guys seen marks it? marks out of 10? I'll give it a 9 out of 10. On that one, I think a, nine, a good, solid... Very strong, nine out of ten. No, I haven't seen it, Steve. I don't get out of the house very often. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I forgot about that. Yeah, don't worry, that's okay. Pacific Rim's out on Blu-ray, so I'll be I'll be going off to buy that in a bit. So, uh, so because I've got lots Mark. of lovely things to review for AV Forms. Oh, excellent, Mark B. You uh, have you seen it? No, no, but do you um, plan everyone. On seeing it? Yes, I do. Everyone was raving about it on the. Oh, Ben was raving about it on the Games Podcast. Um, I think Steve was as well. You know, everyone, everyone I've spoken to seems to absolutely rate it. Um, yeah, definitely one I want to watch. Well, that's it for the AV Forums podcast this week. My thanks to Mark Botwright. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Mark Hodgson and Ed Sally. We just put Isaac Newton in the driver's seat. And in my case, failure, I'm glad to say, was not an option. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter and Facebook, please do. You can bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news, and videos. Plus, why not leave a rating for us on iTunes if you enjoyed the show, and hopefully you did. I'm Steve Withers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.